This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Pass the war quickly. Down to six seconds. Car going down again. And it's Quentin Williams this time for the Jets. And welcome back to an episode of the Cool Your Jets podcast. We're your host, Ben Blessington and Michael Nania, back with another head coaching candidate profile. This time, one of Michael and I's favorites, Robert Sala, the defensive coordinator for the San Francisco 49ers. Michael, you're on record as saying Sala is your favorite candidate. Jets have yet to request an interview with him. First of all, what are your thoughts on Salah as a candidate? And second of all, do you think they will get around to, to requesting him? Yeah, like you said, I think he is my favorite candidate because I think he has that best blend of raw coaching ability and production in terms of the unit that he coaches because that San Francisco defense was amazing in 2019 and was still really good this year, even with a lot of injuries. So I think he has the best blend of all the different things you're looking for. So that's why he's my personal favorite. But Second part of your question, I don't think that I, – I just don't – I think it's too good to be true for this Jets team. But if it does play out, I'm all for it. He's definitely, like I said, my favorite. Yeah, and as with all of these, we're bringing in somebody who knows a hell of a lot more about these candidates, who, who follows the team, who covers the team. This time we're lucky enough to be joined by uh, Oscar Aparicio from At Better Rivals. Oscar, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk to, to us about Robert Sala. How you doing, man? I'm doing swimmingly. It's a pleasure. <laughs> Happy to talk about Robert Sala. Uh, I'm I'm sad that we might lose him, uh, but uh, but I'm happy because I think he is absolutely deserving of a head coaching gig. One hundred percent. I mean, I thought that he would he would get a job last offseason. Him and Bienemy they kind of hurt themselves by going to the Super Bowl in the sense that teams a lot of times don't want to wait to get that head coach in the building. I mean, it's just a disadvantage. The longer you have to wait, and you can get impatient, and there's always the there's never the guarantee that they'll, they'll come to you anyway. So I think, you know, uh, obviously the Niners don't have that luxury this off season. Um, but I do think Salah will get a job. It remains to be seen if it'll be with the jets. Um, but let's hop into him as a candidate. Obviously he's known as uh, energetic, tenacious. He's the muscle head on the, the 49ers sideline. Who's just screaming like a maniac, but he's a hell of a coach to back it up. I mean, I just talk about uh, as we start off. I mean, the, the effects that his energy has on this team. So I think his energy is something a lot of people talk about. Uh, he is well known for the 49ers for running bleachers before the game because he needs to get a lot of his nervous energy out. So you'll see him oftentimes pregame. He's got his headphones on. His pregame ritual is actually running bleachers and then uh, shaving his head 
uh, he, he, he gives a little big treatment to the head so the cameras can shine nice and bright off the little dome uh, that powers the defense for the 49ers. It's a hell of a freaking ritual. You know, everyone's got their things. Deion Sanders used to lay his uniform out, gloves and everything on the floor, uh, and Robert Sala runs bleachers and shaves his head. Uh, so, you know, he, he definitely has a lot of energy and it is infectious. And I think there's, the, I'm sure we're going to get into the scheme and what he's done for the 49ers defense, but the, the oftentimes what a, a coach will do as a coordinator doesn't always translate to a head coaching gig because surprise, surprise, head coaching gigs are different jobs fundamentally than a coordinator. A coordinator is going to be a, a more about scheme, implementa- uh, implementing the pretty pictures that you draw in your head. And, and a head coach is going to be overseeing quite a bit more. And, and the thing that makes Robert Sala really exciting as a head coaching candidate is by all accounts, he's got both. He's got the schematic ability down pat, but he's also, you know, kind of the, the leader of men that you hear. He's got the energy. He's got the passion. He's able to motivate groups of men to do things in a singular direction, like win football games. Uh, and he's done so over the, his career with the 49ers with all pro talent uh, and with like, I don't know, fifth string, you know, cornerbacks. Uh, and, and he's been able to do it uh, in several different ways. So, I think all in all, he's a really, really good pack. He's a great human. Uh, and I think he's going to make a good head coach. Yeah. And, and you touched on some of um, his other traits in, in addition to his energy. But what do you think are some of the, in terms of just his coaching ability? Because we'll talk plenty more about his scheme and what he does defensively. But just in terms of his coaching, in addition to that energy and passion, what has he shown that makes it so clear that he can be a good head coach? Because like you said, we know, how passionate and energetic he is. I mean, running stadiums before the game, every single game is ridiculous. So everyone knows about that. But in addition to that, what he brings to players on a coach to player basis, just as a teacher, getting the most out of them, building relationships, how well does he thrive in those areas? And do they project well to him being a head coach? So the number one thing I'd say that that was surprising about him was his, his, malleability over his career as a 49ers defensive coordinator. So he came from the cover three school of defensive thought. He was a Pete Carroll guy. He worked in Jacksonville for a bit. And and so you think to yourself, you know, okay, he's going to run the cover three defense in San Francisco. That's what he was brought in to do. And he did his first year. The 49ers were basically an exclusively single high team. They ran a single high defense, whether it be cover three or cover one, like over 65% of the time. And, and then you're like, okay, Now in year two, what is that system going to be? Now in year two, you see a few more wrinkles brought in. You see some different blitz pressures. You see a couple different utilizations for stunts on the defensive line. Once you get to year three, now you're seeing more diverse coverages. You're seeing actually knowing that he's got to do some things on the defensive line. He brings in a new defensive line coach, Chris Kasurik, who implements the wide nine. He brings in another defensive backs coach who does more man coverage stuff and a couple of split safety things. By year four, He's running three different coverages more than 15% of the time. He's running cover six, cover four, and cover three, and sometimes cover one. He's implementing new blitz schemes. Uh, He rolled out a brand new, basically like blitz for Fred Warner against Seattle in what is likely his final game that he hasn't shown on film at all in his four years here with San Francisco. And he's just like, we're going to go ahead and hold one of the best offenses to, you know, not a lot of points for three quarters. They end up losing the game, but you know what? 10 point leads in the fourth quarter. Not something I want to talk about for the Niners. Um, So it's one of those things where he just, he's shown the ability to learn, implement and, and design new things based on personnel with deficient personnel, with excellent personnel 
in a way that like you, you have to have that in the NFL nowadays. You have to be able to look at a problem, break it apart and say, how am I going to do it? And it hasn't always been perfect. He's had some kind of missteps here and there, but overall, I think he's done a fantastic job as a defensive coordinator because of his ability to implement new things, take things from other people um, and just execute on field. Yeah, clearly he's a defense first guy. And you talked about a little bit earlier about how he has the traits to become a successful head coach, but the Jets have been specifically looking for that CEO, that leader of men, that guy who is an excellent communicator, an excellent teacher, a guy who's not just going to focus on one side of the ball. What do you envision a Robert Sala coach team looking like? I mean, he comes from a place in San Francisco where Kyle Shanahan is the head coach, but he's, he runs the offense and Robert Sala runs the defense. Do you think he would try to implement a similar system? Well, obviously we're going to talk about his staff a little bit later on where he is the head coach, but he runs the defense and somebody runs the offense. Or do you think he would try to be a little bit more of the CEO? Obviously he's always going to be involved in the defense, but do you think he would try to delegate some of those things so he can oversee the whole team? Just how do you kind of see him running a, a team when he does get his head coaching shot? You know, him being a defensive play caller is, is a really interesting question. I actually haven't given too much thought to that. So I don't know whether or not he would call his own plays. I, I do know that the one thing that gets written about a lot, especially in the Bay Area media, is how much he loves to play chess. He is apparently very, very good at chess. And, and I think that chess for all different, if you've seen the Queen's Gambit, right? Maybe chess is yeah. making a resurgence, but uh, <laughs> fantastic show. If you haven't seen it, I would highly recommend it. Um, but he is, he is a strategic thinker. He's able to think on multiple levels. And I think he's able to handle a lot of things in his head, which I think makes him a really good defensive coordinator. But I think that also extends to what he has to do in terms of an, an organization. It gives him kind of the ability to think about a whole organization strategically in a way that would make him a good head coach. Now, I, I don't know if he would call defensive plays on his own, but I do think that he would bring a 49er style offense with him to wherever his next head coach, wherever his head coaching gig is going to be. And it's because of uh, Mike LaFleur, which is one of the two Mikes. I always get him confused. There's Mike McDaniel and Mike LaFleur. Um, and Mike LaFleur is Matt LaFleur's little brother, um, but he and Robert Sala go way back. And Mike, was, Mike LaFleur was actually the best man at Robert Sala's wedding. So they're that close. Wow. <laughs> uh, and, and he has been prevented, Shanahan has prevented Mike LaFleur from moving or even interviewing for other defensive, for other offensive coordinator spots because he wouldn't be getting play calling duties. Well, now two things are working against that. A, if he were to go with Robert Sala, whom he knows incredibly well, well, he would have play calling duties because I'm sure Robert Sala would cede that control to uh, LaFleur. But now there's a rule in the NFL that says that you can't prevent assistant coaches from interviewing or accepting coordinator jobs, as long as they are bona fide coordinator jobs. And that's what this would be. So what would that team look like? I think it would be a 49er style offense uh, and, you know, another branch off the Shanahan tree that is going to be, uh, you know, wherever Sala goes. And then Sala will be a bit more of the CEO TBD, whether or not he would call his own defensive plays, but it would be an offshoot of a, of a, a Shanahan 49ers like offense. And do you think on the defensive side of the ball, when he does go to that new team, and like you said, we don't know if he will call plays. It's anyone's guess as to how that will be operating once he does get that job. But when he does go to a new team, how much of the defensive principles that he runs in San Francisco do you think he will carry over with him to that new team? Because like you said, he already has adapted quite a bit, and he came in and changed based on the talent that they had. So do you think he's going to be that malleable and able to adapt and change based on the personnel to his new team? Or are there some core philosophies that he will bring with him to that new team? 
Uh, yeah, I think that's a great question. I, I do think that there are some core philosophical bits that he will carry with him. The, the thing that he did in San Francisco, which was so good, was he started very simple with his defense. Not that NFL defenses are simple necessarily, but as NFL defenses go, it was fairly simple. It was a lot of cover three. It was a lot of the same scheme. And as the players got better in the system, as he got better players, things got more complex. So you zoom forward to year four, you've got complex blitzes that are checked to. He's putting certain players in positions, positions to succeed. He's, he's able to kind of tinker with the defense as it grows because he knows that his team is growing with it. So I think he's probably going to start off with his more simple cover three defense um, and then kind of grow as the players in that scheme grows. I, I do think he's probably learned a bit from the way the Niners built the beginning of their team um, with in 2017 with Shanahan, where you bring in guys that you know, who know your system, who know the culture you're trying to establish. And, and those are players on the defense, like potentially Richard Sherman, who is going to be a free agent. Jaquaski Tart, also a free agent. Um, you've got Akella Witherspoon, whom apparently is uh, kind of one of the favorites of Salah, who is, you know, a, a bit of a maligned, but still a cornerback for San Francisco, but still a third round talent who's got all the physical tools and has had a mini resurgence these last three weeks in San Francisco. So I think that he's still going to be a initially more simple cover three team, a lot of zone, a lot of, you know, he's not going to be a really heavy man or heavy blitz kind of coach, but then you're going to see that develop into who knows what, when he gets players, when he gets time and when he gets other coaches on his staff um, that are going to be able to implement different things as the team needs it. Now, obviously there's a lot of optimism about Sala becoming a head coach trying to avoid this becoming a puff piece for Sal. If we have to find negatives, because I would imagine that all three men on this podcast love the idea of Robert Sal being a head coach. Are there any concerns you have about him making that jump? Because we've seen plenty of successful coordinators not be successful head coaches. Are, are there any things that you think that Sala either hasn't proved or may struggle with uh, when he makes the, the leap from coordinator to head coach and especially head coach in the league's biggest market on a losing team? Yeah, I think really it's it's two things that I think about with the Jets jobs specifically. Uh, and one is unfortunately the nature of the Jets. Um, it's hard to be very successful, even if you are good at a lot of things with Jets. Part of it is what you said, the market, you know, part of its ownership, part of its organization, um, you know, part of it is the media. I don't think he's going to be, you know, he's going to worry too much about what the media says or thinks. But Robert Sala, you know, he's only had one defensive coordinator spot and he's only seen one thing one thing worked really successfully as a coordinator and that's Shanahan Lynch and Jay York. Um, he has worked under, under Schneider and Pete Carroll, another really positive, you know, kind of GM coach union. He's only ever seen what that looks like. And so, you know, I think that there is some maybe organizational agility that he's going to have to figure out and learn. Um, that is, you know, complete speculation on my part. I have no idea how good or bad he is there. I don't see what his kind of day-to-day -day interactions are with execs or with people. By all accounts, he's very, very good at uh, relationship building and, and kind of interpersonal stuff. So maybe that's a good thing. Um, the other, I think, is, is more about what, what I think about the, the state of NFL, um, what makes kind of good and consistent NFL teams nowadays, and that is a consistent offense. We know that offenses are generally consistent year to year, more so than defenses. Even good defenses are going to take a step back some years. And, and you know, even if they're like top 10, top 12, they're still going to kind of be up and down. Offense is just generally more stable year to year. And even with the Niners right now, yes, we're worried about losing uh, LaFleur. We're worried about losing Mike McDaniel as well. But we're not really all that worried because it's Shanahan's offense. 
Shanahan's the guy who makes the ship go. We don't have to worry about the offense. We can worry about the defense where you can kind of overcome some things with athletes. So it's, it's one of those things where, yeah, if LaFleur goes to New York and he's with Sala and they have a, a good enough year where LaFleur all of a sudden is considered a head coaching candidate. Now, all of a sudden you've got this kind of like revolving door of offensive coordinators that can't really be solved with maybe a brand new quarterback. And, and now you, quarterback is the most position, the most important position in football. If you have, if you don't have that figured out, then you don't have really your franchise figured out. And so if you don't have the quarterback whisperer, the offensive guy, then maybe if you've got that revolving door, things are problematic. I think the flip side of that's John Harbaugh. John Harbaugh is a special teams coordinator who made it, you know, work as a head coach. And he's figured out that revolving door of, uh, of coordinators. So I'm not saying that dooms him by any stretch, but I do think that it is a little concerning that, um, you know, if, if his offensive coordinator leaves, maybe the offense goes with him. And that would concern me if I'm looking for a head coach. Yeah, I think you definitely really summed up very well the main concern that most of us as Jets fans have in terms of looking for a defensive head coach, because it's not necessarily that you can't win with a defensive head coach. You mentioned Harbaugh, who came from, comes from a special teams background. You can win with those guys. It's just the importance of offense and the quarterback position and being able to have the core of your offense in place as a head coach and have him saved from being poached from another team is definitely something that can be valuable. So that is a risk with Robert Sala and any other defensive head coach. But uh, I think one thing that we wouldn't have to worry about with him is player development. And that's something that the Jets head coaches in recent years or their last few have really struggled with. So what do you think, who do you think are some of the players that best exemplify some of the development that Sala has been able to foster in that defense? Because the Niners, from the time he went there, he took in a defense that gave up the most points in the league the year before he came in. And then he brought them up to maybe the best unit in the league in 2019, won the Super Bowl. And then this year they were very good, maybe even elite, even without many of their best pieces. So who would you say are some of the players, especially young pieces who they drafted, that best exemplify how well he's been able to develop young talent there? Yeah, so, so one thing to kind of to, to egg that analysis on, really, just before I get into the specific player, because there's one that I'm thinking of very specifically, but you think of what Robert Zala did this season with his defense. And, and the defense, I mean, you're talking about, you know, Jason Verrett and a rotating door of Emmanuel Mosley um, and Akella Witherspoon at corner. This, this is basically like a, a research, like a recovery unit in terms of Jason Verrett, who hasn't played football in a long time and, and was injured last year. And a third round pick and an undrafted free agent. Uh, you've got Jimmy Ward and you've got Jaquaski Tart, sometimes Marcel Harris. They were fifth in overall EPA per play against the pass. Or, or fifth overall as a defense. Ninth against the pass, fifth against the run. If you look at their PFF coverage grade, they were fourth with not like elite pieces at corner or safety, but they had the fourth best PFF coverage grade. They had the 29th highest PFF pass rush grade. Because, of course, you lose D Ford, you lose Bosa. They had no one at pass rush. They, they had Ezekiel Ansah for seven minutes. You know, you've got Dion Jordan who's playing. Like, this is a, a, a defensive coordinator who is imaginative, imaginative enough to take all of these pieces and still put together a top 10 efficient defense in the NFL. That's remarkable. And a big reason that happened is because of Fred Warner. And that's the player, I think, if you're looking for development... Fred Warner was drafted in the third round by the 49ers. He was drafted under this regime. He's seen no other coaching staff, no other defensive coordinator than Robert Sala. And Robert Sala knew what he had immediately with 
someone like Fred Warner. He had the green dot year one. He knew it'd be a little rocky, but he's blossomed into uh, a pro bowler this year. I think one of the two best linebackers in inside linebackers in football in large part because of what he does in coverage, what he can do carrying crossers up the seam, what he can do in man coverage. I mean, the, the guy's remarkable and he really has blossomed and developed under Sala. And, and I think it's because Sala recognizes that, you know, you need modern linebackers, you need coverage linebackers first. And yeah, you got to worry about the run. And yes, you talk about, you know, stopping the run and all that stuff, but you know, it's, it's a passing league. You have to have linebackers that stop the pass. But I think he also found a kismet spirit in someone who was really, really smart. And, and I think that they speak the same language in that regard. And Fred Warner is hardly ever in the wrong spot. The guy is just it, it is so good at diagnosing plays and making his initial reads and reading his keys. Um, he was the defensive MVP this year. He won the, the Bill Walsh Award, which is given to the team's MVP voted on by coaches. And he won the Len Eshmont Award, which is basically the player voted MVP. Um, he And that's, there's not very many players that do that. I think there's only two players in, in 49ers history who have done that. Um, so it, it's definitely a remarkable growth for Warner. Um, and, and I think it's in large part because of what he's, you know, obviously he's seen no other coaching staff in San Francisco. Um, and he's now one of the best linebackers in the league. So when you think of or picture Sala as a head coach, what moments come to mind to you that sort of made it clear that he is going to be someone else's head coach someday, whether it's a particular game an adjustment he made during a game or a coaching moment, any just individual uh, something he said to a player or a player he really helped grow any individual moment in time where you looked at something he did and thought, okay, that guy is going to be someone's head coach. So for me, it, it comes back to what you are able to put on the field. I think that's the most tangible that someone who watches the game has, because we can talk about, yeah, you know, I'm not as close or tied into the day-to-day -day interpersonal stuff that he might have. Right. So I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say like, I know him as a person or a man by all accounts, he's great. But what I can extrapolate based on what he puts on the field, is he is able to have one game plan in one week and a completely different game plan another week, all within the same structure. You look at week one against the Arizona Cardinals this season. The Niners are primarily a single high team. They played over 60% cover four because they knew they were going against a spread, a spread offense. They knew they had a lot of things to cover. And they tried a couple of different things with kind of field boundary cornerbacks and some of it worked, some of it didn't. But they were, by and large, a cover four team. Same thing happened in week two because they saw another wide open team. By week three, they're playing 60% cover one. And it's like, okay, you're very clearly actually tailoring a game plan specific to the team that you're seeing. And that's pretty neat. On top of that, he's not afraid to take and incorporate really great ideas. The Niners use a wide nine scheme right now, but they didn't always. Chris Caserta coming in and Jim Washburn and all that stuff, that's within the last two years. That wasn't a part of the Niners defensive scheme the first two years. So he is absolutely not afraid to say, you know what, that's a good idea. And I'm going to incorporate that because I think it's a good idea. And I think it will work for the people that I have. And I think as a head coach, fundamentally, that's what, that's what, at least what I, from what I've seen, what separates really good head coaches from not good head coaches is the ability to say, that's a good idea to have the, the lack of ego to say, I'm going to incorporate and steal that idea and being able to tune those ideas based on the personnel and the scheme and the people that you have and, and then making it all work. Um, I think too much rigidity, too much ego is ultimately what dooms you as a head coach among other things. Um, and, and so I think that that's probably what I would point to is I would say, you know, you look at what he's done over the, his, his tenure here with the 49ers and it's, it's pretty remarkable whether or not he's had talent or not. He's had a defense that's produced 
um, whether it be in, in high profile moments or in Super Bowl running seasons. And, uh, and I think overall, he's just, he's really, really good at what he does. Yeah, it sounds like flexibility and versatility are some of the words you're using to describe Robert Salo. When you think of his philosophy as a head coach and not just as a defensive coordinator, but as a head coach, are those some of the words that, that come to mind to describe a Robert Salo head coach football team? What are some of the other words that you think if he becomes the head coach of the Jets or the Lions, wherever it is, that opening press conference or that, that opening meeting with the team, what are some of the things you think he's going to preach as the philosophy, that vision for the team? So he's used two phrases, two catchphrases that have become synonymous with his time here with the 49ers. And one is all gas, no breaks. And the other is extreme violence. Um, he's used both of those at different times. Yeah. (laughs) Sounds good to me. Yeah. Uh, he, you know, he's definitely, uh, he, he's admitted to blacking out on the sidelines at times, uh, because he gets so amped up that, you know, when the the defense makes a good play, you know, he's just, they cut to him on the sidelines because he, you know, he's always just like jumping up and down and cheering on his team. He's fully admitted that sometimes he just, he blacks out. He doesn't remember that part of it because he's so excited and so into it. I think players really buy into that enthusiasm. I think he is going to be a a head coach that preaches um, playing fast. I think he's going to be a head coach that preaches, you know, and and what defensive coordinator doesn't, you know, say hit hard, play fast. Right. Um, But I do think he's going to have the the energy to match. um, And, and by and large, I think that he's going to be a very energetic head coach, but also a very strategic and thoughtful and measured head coach. And, And that balance doesn't always happen. Right. I think sometimes you get really energetic guys that operate and vibrate at a really high frequency and then you get really analytical guys that maybe just like are kind of terse and, and don't really play well with the media. I think he's got a good blend of both, which is why I think he's being considered for head coaching gigs. And if he does land one of those head coaching gigs, it's obviously going to be important for him to build a staff that can kind of help him maintain that balance guys who bring that fire, but also who are analytical, smart, can plan like he can. So wherever he goes, what sort of staff do you see him building? And especially two guys you mentioned that, you are afraid of losing Mike McDaniel and Mike LaFleur. Do you see those two guys going with him, one or both of them? What do you see his staff looking like with his new team? Yeah, I see one of them coming, um, probably LaFleur because they're so close. Um, I, the, the Niners, Shanahan has admitted to doing some horse trading already with Sala in case he gets a gig to say like, okay, you can have him, but not him. Um, so I don't know that he's going to raid the staff entirely, but I do think LaFleur is someone who's likely to go with him. Someone who I think would, would really, the Niners would really hate to see leave would be D'Amico Ryans. D'Amico Ryans is, you know, longtime linebacker for the Houston Texans. And that's where they met because he was, you know, an often a defensive assistant with the Texans, also where Sala met Shanahan. And, and D'Amico Ryans is the linebackers coach for the Niners. He's actually up, he's being considered as a replacement for defensive coordinator if Sala goes. So if Sala's like, hey, we, you know, we have a defensive coordinator gig that's open, you know, we might want to bring you with. If Shanahan wants to go with a more established candidate, um, then, then that might be someone who could come with him as well on the defensive side. Um, I do think on offense, if you're looking at potential other people that have been in the Niners orbit that may be available, Rich Scangarello, um, who was a quarterback's coach in San Francisco, um, also uh, an offensive coordinator for Denver for a season, um, he's someone who is very, very familiar with the Niners system uh, who may be available. So he might be part of that staff as well. Um, I think part of being a good head coach is being able to bring good, um, good staff with you. Um, and, and I do think that he's got connections to people that are well-respected and well-regarded in the NFL. 
Yeah, and we talked about it right at the beginning that the Jets have not requested an interview with Robert Sala. I've seen all the reports of Richard Sherman and some of his, his players uh, saying that he has to get the Lions job, and, and he seems like he's the favorite in Detroit. Where do you see Sala ending up? Do you think he, he would be a good fit in a, in a team uh, like New York in a big market with some question marks? Do you think it makes more sense to him to go back uh, to Michigan and coach the Lions? I mean, where do you think the best fit for Sala is, and, and where do you think he ultimately ends up? Do you guys have a general manager opening or is it just? No, it's, it's just, uh, fortunately, we like to think that we actually do have a good general manager in Joe Douglas. Cause he's only had one draft and it was relatively, relatively good. Although we did go two and 14, but we're going to pin that on, on Adam Gase and the, the other GM's failures, but uh, we, we like our GM for, for right now. Um, okay. So, so I think that's, that's part of it. I think if he, because he's seen what a good GM, good head coach marriage looks like. He saw it in Seattle. He saw it in San Francisco. I think if obviously the Detroit ties are there because he's a a native Michigander, which is Michigander is always a word that just sounds funny when you say it out loud, but um, he he's a native of Michigan. And so that's why I think that link is obviously there going to your hometown team is, is a great story. Um, But Detroit doesn't have a ton of cap space. Um, And and if you're looking as a head coach, if you get to choose a spot, um, you're going to choose a spot with a lot of cap room. You're going to choose a spot where either they have the quarterback thing figured out, or you get to choose your quarterback at the top of the draft. And you're going to choose a place ideally with a ton of cap space. So you can make moves to establish your culture, maybe pay a fullback three times the going rate. I don't know. Um, <laughs> that's because use check was originally going to sign with the jets. Uh, and I think the jets actually gave him more, uh, they offered him more money. Um, and that's why the Niners gave him as much money as they did because wow. they were in a bidding war with the jets to, for Kyle use check services. Uh, but the Niners end up getting Kyle Juszczyk and now of course he's, you know, he may not be a Niner for much longer, but, uh, but yeah, but that's, that's one of the reasons uh, we have. A, a so we, so you're saying we can add him to the list of almost jets. Yes. Almost. Yes. And maybe a jet jet in the future because oh, okay. it, he, he's another player that if you get Robert Sala and he brings uh, LaFleur with him, then, you know, what's one of the guys that's going to help build the culture. Well, the fullback, uh, the, the versatile fullback who is kind of, you know, blocker slash, you know, whatever. And if you guys want to pay 23 million for a fullback, Hey, be my guest. <laughs> I'd, I'd rather spend that money somewhere else. Um, but, but yeah, but I think that if you're looking at places, Detroit's there, but Detroit doesn't have a lot of cap space. Jacksonville, I think, is, is a really, really desirable spot for a lot of head coaches because they've got the first pick in the draft, because they've got a ton of cap space, um, and because you'd be able to bring a, a general manager with you. Um, and there's a couple of general manager candidates in San Francisco that would be good. Martin Mayhew is one, um, and Adam Peters is another. Um, both of them are, are in the Niners' front office and, and I think able to do the GM gig. So it, that's the only thing I think that might turn someone off from that gig is like, if I could go someplace where I know I'm going to work well with the general manager, cause I get to pick them and I've got the quarterback thing figured out and I've got cap space that might be a bit more desirable than a place like, like New York. And, and so to wrap it all up on Salah, if he does land with the jets, what would your pitch be to jets fans as to why he is the correct decision and why he is the guy who can turn around a team that has missed the playoffs 10 years in a row won two games this year, blew the number one pick. Why is Robert Sala the guy who can turn it around? Uh, One, he's not going to do smelling salts on the sideline. It is all (laughs) natural energy. Uh, Nor will you have to worry about the size of his pupils at press conferences. (laughs) Uh, Number one, I think that's going to be where you start. Number two, uh, he's not an a-hole. So he's not going to alienate a bunch of people uh, like sometimes some coaches have done in New York. Uh, and, And then finally, I would say, that you know, you've got a, a defensive coordinator who, in a year where he lost Nick Bosa, Richard Sherman, 
D Ford, Solomon Thomas, uh, and DeForest Buckner had a rookie in Javon Kinlaw and a newly signed Eric Armstead and Fred Warner, whom he developed from a third round pick into one of the best, you know, linebackers in the NFL, Dre Greenlaw, a fifth round pick at linebacker. And, and he took a, a defense that played historically good in 2019. And we all knew they were going to drop off. They were going to regress to the mean. We thought if they could just be top 15, they'd be good. And they still ended fifth in overall EPA per play. That man can withstand a lot. And I think that if you're looking at the storms that are going to hit you in New York, that's where you're looking at a man who's got resolve to withstand a lot. Um, and both on the field and as a human, I think he can do both. And so that, that would be my pitch ultimately. I mean, I think that's a hell of a pitch, particularly the first two points. But the third one is important because that's really all you can look at when you look at a coordinator's making a leap to, to the head coaching position is, is you have to evaluate like a guy like Eric Bieniemy is a very attractive, but you know, how much is his success due to Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and Andy Reid? When you look at a coordinator like Salah, who's lost everything and he's still producing, it shows that man can coach, that man can get the best out of uh, the group of men that are in front of him. Now, questions remain, can he be a head coach? I certainly think he can. Oscar and Michael, I believe you two uh, do as well. Uh, but let us know, at CYJ Pod. Tweet us uh, your thoughts on Robert Sala. Uh, personally, uh, Michael and I, I know we said it like five times now, but our favor for the head coaching job, we'll see if he gets an interview. Fingers crossed he does. But Oscar, we really appreciate you taking time out of your day to talk to us about Robert Sala. Where can our listeners find you? You have some great stuff. I mean, obviously, Niners focus, but some general just football brilliance. So just let, let us know where they can uh, catch you. Uh, you can always follow me on the Twitters at Better Rivals. Uh, I tweet a lot of stuff there, and every now and again, the Niners play the Jets, and so we'll uh, we'll talk. If you want to talk to Frank Gore, happy to talk about All Frank right. Gore. Uh, I think I think we've know. had enough of Frank Gore after he cost us. I think Lawrence. we've had enough. I think yeah. we've had enough. <laughs> That's oh, enough. Come on, Frank you don't Gore want uh, year year twenty two of Frank yeah. Gore, year twenty seven. <laughs> Frank Gore, are you we've sure? We've had enough of the weekly CBS graphics with all uh, of his new records. <laughs> come on, you can just go ahead and have him and his son play on the team at the same time. It'll be great. Uh, that would be cool. I'd be fine if we get Frank Gore Jr. But Frank Gore's <laughs> gonna have to concede some reps to Junior at some point. Yeah, at some point. Who knows when it's gonna happen? But yeah, happy to talk uh, Jets, Niners. Uh, happy to talk Niners or general football uh, at Better Rivals on Twitter. Okay, I, I think the next time the Jets play the Niners is in 2024. So I think our team's gonna look a lot different. But perhaps Robert Sala will be the head coach of the New York Jets when that when that day rolls around. Maybe and the Jets knows? will actually. Maybe, maybe he'll trade us. Go ahead. Maybe he'll trade us Sam Darnold. Who the hell knows? That's what I was going to literally, uh, maybe, maybe they'll both have their own quarterbacks. Maybe it'll be Sam Darnold versus Justin Fields. The, the possibilities are endless, but Oscar, again, we really appreciate you coming on. You can follow me at Ben W. Blessington, Michael, Michael underscore Nania. Find our podcast, iTunes, Spotify, JetsXFactor.com. As I said, tweet us at CYJ Pod. Your thoughts on Robert Sala. I think he'd be a hell of a hire. Let's hope the Jets can submit an interview pretty soon because uh, I know Michael and I are ecstatic. It's Quentin Williams this time for the Jets. Over the middle in the air, picked off. Brian Poole to the end zone, touchdown. Hunter to beat, and the punter brings him down. Brayden Mann saved a touchdown most likely. Looks right, fires a bomb down the right sideline again for Mims. What a catch by Denzel Mims.